responsible for. And it's a joint task that actually defines what makes a team. If you don't have a joint task, you probably aren't a team. Their joint task is creating strategy. Hmm. They have to think about what kind of marketing should we have, even if I'm not the chief marketing officer. They have to think about what's my portfolio of businesses, even if I'm not the CEO. It's true that they're a cross-functional team that sometimes behaves like a working group instead of a team. If you get them aligned on strategy, that's very powerful for everyone else in the organization. Then you can unleash that vision and other people can find their place in it. And all those other cross-functional teams are now executing something that fulfills that vision. You are listening to the Align Remotely podcast, the show dedicated to helping you lead distributed teams under difficult circumstances. I am the host, Luke Shermer, and I've participated in or run distributed teams for almost a decade. As a practitioner, I'm speaking with experts on leadership, strategic alignment, and remote work to help you navigate the issues you start facing after you get your working from home gear sorted. Welcome back. So today we are speaking with Cassie Solomon, who is an organizational development consultant and executive coach. She founded and leads a company called The New Group Consulting, where she helps leaders design and implement successful change. And she's also the author of a book called Leading Successful Change. And part of this expertise also comes from her deep knowledge of the RACI tool, which is a kind of classic project management tool. So today's episode, we cover why role clarity is not quite, but almost a silver bullet when troubleshooting teamwork, how to fix problems across department boundaries, what the stealth lever of organizational changes, and a small hint here, it's in one of the codes in RACI. And finally, we wrap up with how senior team misalignment can undermine department collaboration and more importantly, how to fix it. So let's get on with the show. Cassie Solomon, welcome to the Align Remotely podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got into teamwork in larger companies? Thanks, Luke. I'm delighted to be here. That's a great place to start. I started as a management consultant in a firm that spun out of the Wharton School of Business. And my specialty in that firm was really organizational change work. So people would bring us in when there were teams that were not working well, or when there was a change initiative that was stuck. And as part of that work, we used this tool, RACI, um, actually teach this tool still at, at Wharton. And one of the things that really struck me was that a lot of the problems that were being attributed to people's personalities, like I'm having problems with Luke, Luke from marketing is a jerk, really turned out to be more about role misunderstandings. And RACI was this kind of dead simple project management tool, really old fashioned, in fact, started in the mid 50s. And we would say, before we get into all of that, personality and the psychodynamics of your team, let's just do a little role work first. Let's just straighten out the roles. It wasn't a silver bullet, but it was pretty damn close. 
when you got the roles straightened out, a lot of the other stuff would fall away. So that that's how I became a convert. I see. Okay. So RACI is an acronym. So what does it stand for? Exactly. RACI is an acronym. Uh, it stands for the four roles in the RACI model, responsible, authorize, consult, and inform. I wanted to say this is not the, it's, it's something called a decision rights matrix. That's a mouthful. And it's not the only one out there. There are variations of RACI, uh, like RASCI and DACI. There, there's a whole other variation of it called RAPID. Please don't ask me to define that one because <laughs> I can't. Um, so the idea is that people are searching for a way to have a language to describe roles. And RACI is the oldest and the best known of those. Is it enough just to define in the language what everyone's doing? What's the best way to get started with it and to get something out of it right away? So I actually teach that it is enough. The white paper that you can download from my website, which shall be in the show notes, has a good explanation of the codes and then how to do a matrix. But I think the most important thing is that everyone defines the four codes the same way. And it's a very simple tool, so it's quite popular with global companies and with companies that are working across languages because you can get really confused when you're all working in, say, English as a second language about what you're talking about. But if you can teach people just these four codes and you can say across those different language differences, hey, I have the R for this, that basically means you're saying, I'm going to do the work. R is the worker role. Or if you say to someone, uh, I can't figure out where the A is, that means I don't know where the decision is getting made because the A is the decision role. So anyway, teaching these four codes the same way is pretty important, but it doesn't take very long and it's real simple. Okay, great. So we have R and A and then what are C and I? The C stands for consult. This is the role where you're giving advice. You have some expertise that someone else needs or they can't do a good job. So typically, if you have a C role, you're offering that advice and expertise before the action is taken or before a decision is made. You can influence the decision, but you can't make it. So if you have a C, I can ignore your advice and you don't get to stop my project in its tracks on its way. The I role uh, stands for inform. If you have an I role, no one is even asking for your opinion. They aren't asking you to do any work and you certainly don't get to make the decision. In an I role, all you do is receive information. And it's not an unimportant role. You may need this information in order to be able to do your job, but it's the least involved of the four. So would eyes necessarily need to be even included in, for example, meetings, or is it something that could just be done using, I don't know, writing of some form? I would recommend that eyes are not involved in working meetings. Think about a town hall where the purpose of the town hall is to communicate something to people. That's an eye meeting and you want everybody there. Okay. But if you're putting together a work group or a project team, you really want people signing up to be in those team slots with the intention of doing some work. I don't even recommend that you bring C people into the project meetings. You can go get their advice offline, 
they may be critically important. Think about legal, for example. You need to know what isn't legal. But that doesn't mean they have to come to all the meetings and sit there giving you their opinions. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. When I first came across this, we were using Scrum, the, the, the Agile project management approach. It was pretty prescriptive about what, about what is R and what is A. I missed the depth of, of RACI because of that. It didn't seem like it was giving me additional information, but it seems like there's a lot more to it than just figuring out who shows up in what meeting. I want to make a distinction between the kinds of RACI charts that happen in the big project management world. Like right. Chevron showed me a 250-step RACI chart, and every step on that chart, the roles were fully delineated, and this thing was really complicated. But there was a project manager whose job was tending to that RACI chart and making sure all of those steps took place, everyone was doing their role on each of those steps. Most of us don't have those project management resources. Most of the people that I teach RACI to are managers, and they just need a shorthand way to communicate about role so that things don't get stuck. And I say make simple RACI charts that are 10 or 15 lines long. And if it needs to be more complex than that, break them into subcharts. Go off with your team and go do your own. So subcharts isn't subteams having their own chart kind of thing. I'll give you an example of that, Luke, just to bring that to life. I was sure. with a client and they said, we, we want to look back at our sales conference for last year because it was just a mess. We really stepped on each other's toes. We had misunderstandings. Things fell through the cracks. We were fighting fires. We want to go back and use Racy to see if we can figure out why we were having that experience. And then we want to turn around and Racy next year's conference so that it doesn't go that way, so that it goes better. And as we walked our way through it, there were some really big blocks of things like all of the logistics for the hotel. That particular step involved lots and lots of little steps, but they knew they should turf that over to their meetings department. So they just put it on the chart in a very simple way. Like everything that had to do with logistics for the meeting is the meetings department. They have the R, they have the A, we don't even want to consult on it, just go mm -hmm. do it. And so that was taking up one line on their overview racy instead of taking up a hundred lines. So in terms of how it's being used, it's once, it's like one row per task almost, or is it, because I thought it would be more at the person level than at the task level. This is where it would be fun to have something to draw on, like a whiteboard. The thing, that's, <laughs> the thing that's genius about this little simple tool is that it actually is both. So you write the tasks down the left-hand side. Imagine you're looking at an Excel worksheet, and mm -hmm. column A is all the tasks. And you write them down chronologically. This kind of forces the team to get clear about what the tasks are. So it's already giving you a benefit. And then across the top, you write the different stakeholders that are involved. So that's your person level. You can say Department of Marketing, and you can say Cassie, and you can say Joe. You can mix up groups and individuals. And then in the middle, and all those cells on the Excel spreadsheet, that's where you fill in the codes. So if Joe has work to do on task number two, 
he gets an R in his cell. And if he only wants to contribute his opinion, he gets a C. And it, you work through that with the team usually. You build that racy chart together so that as you go, you're negotiating the roles and you're figuring out where the mystery is. Often the mystery is we don't really know who has the A here. Guess we'd better figure that out. <laughs> and the other thing I want to say about what you just said is you're able to write down not just the tasks of a project, but you're also able to write down the decision-making nodes. If you think about what a flowchart is, a flowchart usually does a great job of telling you what the tasks are, but it often doesn't call out decision nodes. Good, good ones do. Mm -hmm. And so you're working your way through the task, the flowchart, you hit a decision node and you don't know what to do because you don't know where the decision is. Or the decision always floats up to, as uh, I just read a book where they called it the highest, the opinion of the highest paid person in the room. Yeah, the hippo. Right? Yeah. The, the A always goes to the hippo. <laughs> and that's usually not what companies are trying to accomplish. If you think about the rhetoric around empowerment, I would say the rhetoric around empowerment can be made very visible with a good racy chart because you just ask the leaders, which decisions are you willing to let go of? And where would you like them to live? And if they say we're not really willing to let go of any decisions, I say, then please don't talk about empowerment because you're just going to make people cynical. Yeah, makes total sense. If everyone has this natural drive towards role clarification, what is it that happens when we don't have that clarity on roles? So I think this is particularly relevant to cross-functional teamwork on um, what we call horizontal work in my company. And I had a webinar a couple of weeks ago and we asked the people on it how much time they were spending working with virtual cross-functional teams. And almost everyone on the call was spending at least 50% of their time in cross-functional teams. Hmm. And there's tremendous literature on what's wrong with cross-functional teams and why they're difficult. But I think they are especially subject to role confusion. And role confusion has certain kind of symptoms. You don't walk into a, a meeting virtually or in person and say, gee, look, this looks like a role confused group. But you can say, <laughs> if we're a group that doesn't know who makes decisions, or if the workload feels out of balance, some of us are doing all the work, or we get we, they dynamics in the team, or we're fighting fires, or we're reactive instead of proactive, or generally just poor morale, those are some symptoms of role confusion. Those are the kinds of symptoms where someone would call in a consultant like me and I would say, let's start with role. On the cross-functional team side, certainly within the software world, it does seem like creating any bit of software is only done via cross-functional teams. Anything that's of value is going to be crossing departmental lines. It's to the point where in these various agile approaches, they're trying to promote that as one of the elements of the solution, so to speak. Where it breaks down is precisely what, what we're talking about here, when people are just confused about, wait, so who does what now? <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about agile. A couple of months ago, a client of mine came to me and said, I need you to study the difference between racy and agile, because I have people in my IT department that's think that they don't need racy because they've got Agile and Agile is working for them just fine. So I did a deep dive and some research online and I concluded that you really can have both. 
that the Agile team, if it's small enough and working together often enough, think about the daily stand-up, for example, they may not need to talk much about role. They're working that out every time they have a daily stand-up. Hmm. They're figuring out who does what, and they're saying, because this is part of the Agile literature, the team has the A, the team makes all of the decisions. I think that actually works in a smaller team, whether it's cross-functional or not, that's that intense. But as soon as you start talking about projects that span departments or that are more complex, that breaks down pretty quickly. You can't do that same daily huddle, talk about every issue every day as a team. And that's where the role confusion can come. And that's where adding RACI onto an Agile project can be really helpful. The one symptom that I think I hear a lot in software development is the blaming the business, the, the sort of blaming back and forth between the business yeah. and IT saying, we can't tell you what your business requirements are, you have to tell us. And yeah. the business saying, you're not delivering value. Yeah, that definitely does come up. There are somewhat more radical solutions like what, for example, Spotify has done where they reorganize everybody into cross-functional business units. <laughs> and then that kind of gets outside of the point. But then again, not every company is capable of doing that in terms of being that capable of adapting at that granular of a level, the whole organizational structure. Yeah, I'm, yeah my hunch is that they may not have explicitly used RACI, but they thought very carefully about where the decisions were going to live. Hmm. Because you can reorganize all day long, but if you don't address the decision-making aspect of the organization or the culture, it's just moving the lines and boxes around. I think that, <laughs> I actually think that's why there often are one reorg after another a company will do a reorg thinking this is going to solve all of our problems and then oops it just created a different set of problems which yeah. is what reorgs are famous for uh, and then they reorg again which a little bit is that definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results why is it so important to make the element of making the decision explicit to help the organization work better as a whole we're moving into another area I love to talk about, uh, which is the book that was recently revised and published by Wharton School Press called Leading Successful Change. And the model in that book, uh, which was created by a Wharton colleague of mine, Greg Shea, basically says to be successful with change, you have to move at least four of the eight levers in a system. And eight out of eight, obviously, is the most powerful change that you can make. And one of those levers is decision-making, which I call the stealth lever because decision-making is invisible mm. in an organization. But when you change it, it has a very powerful impact. I think the only way you can work with it and change it is first by having a language to describe it, which takes us back to our racy topic. You can't have a very successful conversation about decision-making without breaking down some kind of system that helps you with roles. The other thing that I see very often is not that no one knows where the decision is made, but that it's made in too many places. Hmm. So the Project Management Institute in their RACI work say that best practice is having only one A for every task or every activity. And that is definitely best practice. That means that you can streamline your work you're clear about where the decisions are made, no second guessing. It's also extremely rare 
in, in most complex organizations, there's definitely more than one A, including going up the chain to the highest paid person in the room. Yeah. And that slows things down tremendously. Hmm. So one of the things we try to clean up in a racy project is challenging people to give up the A and demote themselves, if you will, to the C. So your advice and your expertise is very important. We want to hear it, but then we'll go our own way. We may, we may not always do it just as you recommend. That's interesting. I, I would guess where you've got one particular employee reporting to a department manager, or a geographic manager, or a project manager, then the A is really unclear. And then it just becomes difficult to really delegate anything. I was thinking about it more coming from that angle. If there isn't really like a one-to-one relationship between the employee and a particular person who's being held accountable, then, then it, it just becomes difficult to really do very much. This is exactly right, Luke. This is the dilemma of horizontal work, because as soon as you put that cross-functional team together, everyone on it has a different boss. Hmm. It often feels uh, like these project teams are volunteering their time to the horizontal work. If you have to choose between delivering something for your boss or delivering something for your team, in many companies, it's really obvious that the right answer is to deliver for your boss because that's where your performance is evaluated. That's where your career is developed. And we create these shadow horizontal teams that we expect to just work without any authority or any performance evaluation or any credit for the work that's done on them. It's interesting because if you go up maybe to the 20,000 foot level, There's a lot of writing right now about the change from the command and control organization that really produced the industrial era to a flatter organization that's more horizontal. But when people experience that change, they often come to me and say, I'm responsible for all these things. I just don't have any authority to do them. And that's a problem. That's driving me crazy. And I don't want to be slapped, so I don't say You're trying to move from the command and control vertical way of working into the horizontal lateral way of working. And guess what? It's harder. And guess what? You don't have the right skills because the horizontal landscape requires a totally different set of skills. One of the things I really liked in in a previous webinar that I watched of yours, uh, you said that all of the senior teams are by definition cross-functional. If we're trying to get the teams to be more involved, do we want them to have this big picture view to see how what they do fits in with the big picture? Or is that not really that necessary in your view? That brings two things to mind. The first is the senior team aligned on strategy. And can they then communicate that strategy or that vision for where the company is going to everyone else in the company? I think getting senior teams aligned on strategy is my favorite kind of work and not necessarily easy to do. When you think about a senior team being cross-functional, they each have an area that they're responsible for. So the CFO is responsible for everything that's going on financially. The marketing chief marketing officer is responsible for the marketing for the company. What's the task that they're jointly responsible for? And it's a joint task that actually defines what makes a team. 
if you don't have a joint task, you probably aren't a team. Their joint task is creating strategy. Hmm. They have to think about what kind of marketing should we have, even if I'm not the chief marketing officer. They have to think about what's my portfolio of businesses, even if I'm not the CEO. It's true that they're a cross-functional team that sometimes behaves like a working group instead of a team. If you get them aligned on strategy, that's very powerful for everyone else in the organization. Then you can unleash that vision and other people can find their place in it. And all those other cross-functional teams are now executing something that fulfills that vision. If you do have crosstalk at a senior level, what's your typical approach to help companies, both the senior teams and, 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 and the other people in the organization? One thing I often point out to them is an inch of misalignment at the top feels like a mile down below. So if the cross-functional teams in the middle of the organization are stuck, it's often because the people at the top haven't wrestled their own roles and their own agreements and disagreements to the ground. And everyone goes back home to their department and they hear a different version of the vision and the strategy and then they come back again to their cross-functional tree team and try to hash it out at that level and they they get stuck there. We do a lot of idealized design um, which I think is morphed in the world today into design thinking but it's such a disruptive environment with digital transformation at hand coming very quickly with all the changes in the social fabric. So you really need people to look ahead and think creatively about what the future holds and then use those conversations to come up with a strategy that's, I think, agile. You know, it's you look for the things that you know are robust in the words of a former mentor of mine. You know, no matter what happens three years from now, we know in the next one year that this is the right thing for us to do. And you have to keep checking in on your strategy because the world is changing very quickly. That kind of agility really emphasizes the need for this role clarity that we started talking about. Mm. If you think about, think about the difference between a job description and a receipt chart. Job descriptions are pretty durable. They're written so that they don't have to be rewritten very often. Often they have a legal aspect to them, so they have to be written in a very broad way. That that wonderful line at the bottom of a job description that says, other duties as assigned. <laughs> Almost all of the cross-functional project work that is one of those duties <laughs> falls into that one line at the bottom, right? Yeah. Um, this is your job. And oh, by the way, 50% of your time is going to be spent working on cross-functional project teams that we didn't actually put in your job description. So a, a RACI is designed to be the opposite of that. Very flexible very in the moment, almost in the conversation. Here, team, is what we have to do for the next two weeks. Who's taking which piece of this? Who, where are the R's? I cannot take all of them. I want them distributed. You go talk to these stakeholders. You go talk to these stakeholders. We know where the A for the decision is. And we'll check back in on that racy assignment two weeks from now. And it may change. How did you find that episode? Feel free to reach out to me and drop a line on Twitter. From my end, I found this episode to be really useful. It really got into the details of RACI, and I think I admittedly didn't maybe appreciate the power of this tool. One thing that it 
clearly helps address is this clarifying of who's responsible for each decision. And I know this is a, a major challenge in teams working in a larger organizational context. Within a team, it's usually pretty obvious. I think it's the cross-team collaboration where it does become a little more complicated. So tune in next week for a follow-up episode with Cassie. And remember to go to ratethispodcast.com slash remotely and leave your thoughts. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Align Remotely podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 